Hey everyone, welcome to the Shout Out Pod channel. I'm your host, Dina Lamy. Hope you're all doing well. So as you know, I'm on a mission to showcase extraordinary everyday hustlers pushing and breaking down barriers. They'll be sharing their stories of what's inspired them to start their journey, their success, and how they've overcome obstacles whilst maintaining their motivation. So I'm really excited because in today's episode, we have a very special guest, the epitome of inspiration. He's working towards a goal bigger than just himself. He is pushing forward with one purpose, and that is to represent and win for his country. He is Mohamed Al-Khazib, a Palestinian sprinter training for the Tokyo Olympics, which would have kicked off this month on the 23rd of July, but due to COVID-19, it's now postponed until next year. Also, today I have a guest co-host, Dunya Al-Zabedi. She's the editor of the Arab Weekly newspaper based in London. So we've got loads to talk about. So let's kick this off. So, Mohammed, why don't you start off telling us about your journey? How did you begin with your journey in starting or thinking about getting into the Olympics? So I always wanted to do a change since I was young. I always wanted to do something with my life. Never wanted to live like a normal life, I would say. Growing up when we were young, you know, we had like a lot of uh, conflicts, like political conflicts war and like you know army we always had like this really army in the streets and shooting growing up and all that so always for me growing up was always thinking about that i don't want to live a normal life i want something i want a life worth living and to be able to impact others always had that thought in the back of my mind until i was uh, 22 when i was watching the london olympics i was watching it and I was always into sports. I was just like, I work as personal trainer, so I was into like the sports field and all that, but just for uh, recreational purposes. But during the 2012 Olympics in London, I was watching just like different athletes and different sports and like they're all competing and like winning medals for their countries and representing their countries. And a lot of those athletes were like 15 years old, 16, 18, 20. And I was 22 at that time. So as I was like seeing this, I was like, if they can do it, What's preventing me from doing it? And, you know, the Olympics, for any any person that does sport, Olympics is like the, the highest goal that you could aim for. So, I like, you know, I just thought about it. I was like, if they can do it, what's preventing me from doing it? So, just it was this, like, just that thought. And uh, I was studying, I studied sociology in university, sociology and anthropology, and I was already, like, uh, studying at that time. And then, like, a year after, there was uh, the Arab Idol, and that time there was a Palestinian in the final of like the Arab Idol, which is only for the Arab world. And people went crazy that there is a Palestinian that made it to the final. They were voting for him. People were buying like phone credit just like to vote for him over and over and over and over. Of course, he won. <laughs> and he got 65 million votes. The total amount of Palestinians worldwide, I think, is like 20 million. But he got 65 million votes because people were just voting for him because we wanted... We wanted to win something, you know, and that night people were celebrating in the streets, cars honking, fireworks, as if we like, you know, we achieved uh, the impossible that a Palestinian won a singing contest, basically. And I remember that night I was laying in my bed. I couldn't wait. Uh, I couldn't sleep because like the noise outside and people celebrating. But like at that night, I remember I had like that thought crystallized in my mind that if a Palestinian winning a singing contest provoked or like sparked so much hope and joy to the Palestinians, to the people, how would it be if a Palestinian wins an Olympic medal? So the dream that I had like the, a year before kind of like crystallized that, ha, huh, okay, 
maybe that's what I should do. You know, maybe I should work for that, like make it to the Olympics. And like, you know, and it is a big dream, but I never believe in anything that is impossible. So I remember the next day I woke up, I called like my best friend and I got him a st- stopwatch and we just went to like my university small track and like I started sprinting 100%. And I remember I couldn't I couldn't walk for the next two days after because I just like drained myself. I wasn't training well. I was like I went on YouTube and I was like looking at uh, you know YouTube videos on how to train. But yeah, but it's like the idea that started is that wanting to uh, basically create some change, um, using the sport as a tool for change, for creating hope. Because in uh, Palestine, as a society, we rarely win something. In any, you know, we rarely have like those joy moments that as Palestinians, as people, we're like proud. Basically, that was the, the reason behind it, that I just want to bring hope, hope and joy to the Palestinians. Or worldwide, but at least as Palestinian, you know, people would look up to. So when you decided that you wanted to go into the Olympics and you spoke to your parents or your family and your friends, what was their reaction? Everyone laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everyone loved. And I mean, I didn't speak about it as much because I don't, I believe in action more than words. So I kind of like, you know, told, I told my parents, but I was in university at that time. So they were like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, just finish university first. And uh, I told some of my friends, like close friends, they were like supportive, but not really like from heart, which is okay. But I didn't like, I didn't share it with a lot of people. I just kept training for it, really. Just I put it in my mind, I just kept training for it, training for it. Like at least the first three years I was training for it silently in a way until I made the crowdfunding campaign and that's when it went viral. That's when it's like people started to know that I'm actually serious about it because I did a crowdfunding campaign and uh, to go train to the, in the US and it was really an interesting story. I, I was aiming for $8,000 for a campaign and I put the duration of it of 30 days. We collected the money in one day, 24 hours, we had $8,000. 48 hours, so two days, we had $13,000. So we all, like we surpassed the goal that we're actually aiming for. And the campaign was over in two days, you know, and I, people supported from all over the world, people I didn't know, most of them I didn't know. But it even made me so sure that it's a collective dream. It's not just my dream that I want to go to the Olympics. It's a dream of every Palestinian that to see, you know, Palestine in the Olympics, um, or yeah. at least like even winning an Olympic medal and all that. So uh, I was just doing the running, basically. And I remember like a month before I did the crowdfunding campaign because my parents, because I graduated uh, back then in the, from the university. And I remember my parents were telling me like literally a month before I did this crowdfunding, my parents told me like to just quit it and uh, to find the job and like, you know, to work in some office or something. But then a month later, I did the crowdfunding and there was like a big boom and, you know, people knew how serious it was. And then since then, everything changed. My parents... My friends, everyone I know is like very, very supportive. Did you see any obstacles at all because you're, you're Palestinian? Because you were saying how Palestinians don't really win anything. We don't really have these joys. Did, do you yeah. have any particular stories of obstacles that you had to overcome because you're Palestinian? Yes. I mean, the obstacles, uh, the obstacles are just major obstacles in general. Like, you know, not having a track and not having, and like a uh, track and field, for example, is like something that, is least concern for a lot of people, you know. So there's because there's so many political issues that sport take less, way less attention, and even track and field take even more. Like people here love football, so that's like where all the focus is as sports. 
but like as track and field, yeah, like there was no infrastructure whatsoever, not coaching, not facilities and all that. So those were like the major obstacles, I would say. Yeah, those are like the, the actual major obstacles. And of course, you know, growing up in like um, a conflict zone, I would say, hope is less. Like, you know, you're not able to dream as bright and as easy because there's always like growing up in a conflict zone. It's always like we look at ourselves even less. So I was saying, even though there's so much international support, I mean, my feeling generally is I feel there's a lot of people in the world, they're aware of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict for many, many years, and there's been so much support for you as well. Do you still feel it's just not enough? Like, you still need even more support? I mean, in terms of, like, emotional or, like, mental support, there was enough. It's just a matter of, like, in the end, it was, as an athlete, it's always, like, the financial support is, like, the, the biggest obstacle, I would say. Which is why I did crowdfunding campaigns twice to be able to go, you know, back and forth more than once to the U.S. So every time you stand at the start line and you look at the end of the track, what goes through your mind? Nothing. <laughs> and nothing. <laughs> Usually it's uh, like what my coach would tell me is, um, you know, don't think about it. And that's what I do. I just execute what I've been learning. That's what I uh, always tell myself. Because a lot of times I'll just think about it too much. And I'm like, oh, what do I need to do? What do I? And like I, so many thoughts get in my mind. And through the yoga world, I learned that thoughts make us heavier, even in running. Mm. So yeah. you really need to be light-minded as much as possible and just go, you know. And there's nothing I could learn on the race day. There's nothing I can do on the start line except executing what I learned. Of course, on the start line, there's always the thought of, you know, asking God to give me the strength and the ability to continue. And also, why am I doing it? But that's usually like an hour or two before the race, not on the start line. Okay, fair enough. What goes through your mind before the race, before you get on the start line? Just just go. Like I, I try to comfort myself because it's usually I'm, I get sometimes like a bit uh, stressed before a race or like, you know, I'm shaking and all that depends on the race. But just before I'm like, you know, I got this. I just keep telling myself I got this. It's, you know, I've done it. It's easy and it'll be done. So just comforting thoughts more or less. That's great. I mean, you've had it. So the world in general has been in lockdown. So yeah. you've, overcome starting off with the idea of getting into the Olympics. You've then had to endure poor or not available athletic tracks, right, where you are. And you crowdfunded successfully. You made it to the US. You didn't get to Rio. But then lockdown happens. How do you keep yourself motivated in those moments? Oof, I mean, because I believe that setbacks or any obstacles that would rise, for me, I'm like, whenever obstacles rise, I make sure that I'm on the right way. I, because I believe if I'm going on the right path in life, there should be obstacles. If there were no obstacles, it means that there's something wrong. <laughs> it's, it means that, you know, if it's too easy, it shouldn't be easy. Like, like especially if it's a purpose that's your life purpose, I believe it's it never should be easy and obstacles always rise. So since I started this dream, there has been obstacle over obstacle over obstacle. So the lockdown is just, another, you know, another tiny obstacle. Like, you know, I started running in the streets. So I'm back and running in the streets when, you know, I couldn't, couldn't run on tracks. So yeah, so yeah it's, on, it's just only an obstacle that I can easily overcome. That's at least how I feel towards it. That's really good. I, I like that mentality. That's really good. What has lockdown been like in Palestine? 
So the the first month there was like a you know a strict quarantine, no one could leave and all that. But people got bored and slowly started coming out and they opened it again. Like the streets got open, the markets got open, people going back to work again until yesterday or until last early last week because the cases have been spiking up. Right. The past week it spiked up like so much in comparison of like the past three months. Only the past week. So now they're going back to lockdown starting from tomorrow. So oh, okay. to close down again. Yeah, tomorrow we, we close down for like five days, but it's probably going to go for about two weeks. Strict, like lockdown again, carefully right. and quarantine. Which would mean your training can't be outside, right? I mean, I can't run on the track, but I'll just run in the street. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's just a, a small hurdle that I can overcome easily. <laughs> I love it. Look at the mentality. I love it. Look at the mentality. So we were talking before, you, you have a very early training start, which is around 5 o'clock, 5.30, correct? Yeah. So what is your training like? So it depends. I, so I train six days a week. I take one day fully off and depends on the day. I run three, for example, I run three days. I run three days at the track and I have three days of, at the gym between weightlifting or like just doing uh, conditioning. And I train usually more than once a day. So uh, there's like the one, the main uh, practice I have, and then there is a secondary practice. And sometimes before I used to give yoga classes before the lockdown. So you also, I would give a like, that's just something extra, extra. When I give like a yoga class, it'd be like a third workout almost. But, but yeah, so it's usually six days running, one day running, one day gym, one day running, one day gym. And uh, the coach in the US, he sends me the workouts continuously okay. every month. He sends me the schedule and I practice it. Usually run alone, but uh, lately, because I post on Instagram that like when I go, you know, I post a story and people would send me like they want to join. And now, you know, there's like a small group or almost like four or five people, different levels, but they come for fitness just to run. But it's nice like that it's bringing the community and it's really, that's, that was the whole point of it, that it's a collective, it's a collective community bringing people together kind of thing. Have there been other Palestinians that have tried for the Olympics or you, you're, you're, you're the first one or have they tried before, but they've given up or anything like that? Are there any other athletes from Palestine? Yeah. So we've been participating in the Olympics since the year 2000. Now in history, we only had two officially qualified athletes, but we've been participating since 2000 with not like not officially qualified. So the, there were only two athletes that got officially qualified to the Olympics, uh, a judo wrestler in 2012 in the London Olympics and a marathoner in 2016. So those are the only two official, but we've been participating since the year 2000 in the Olympics mm-hmm. as a country. Currently, as far as I know, I don't know. I know like the marathoner, she's half German, half Palestinian. She's training for the Tokyo Olympics. But I haven't met anyone that is uh, like training as like they put training or going to the Olympics as like their profession. You know, usually people do it on the side, like as a hobby, because for us, sport is a hobby. It's never taken as like a profession. So uh I haven't met any, I, I mean, I know someone that is also a marathoner training that is also like put it as a profession, but in track and field, like short distances, at least I run 200 and 400 meter. I don't know anyone personally, but there are, I mean, the, at least in the 2016 Olympics, someone ran, but because you know how West Bank and Gaza, they're separate geographically. 
So there's, um, for example, a lot of athletes in Gaza, like the guy, the sprinter, there was a sprinter that ran in the, um, the Rio Olympics. He's from Gaza, but we never met, like I don't know him. So yeah. Palestinians do participate, but what I've noticed also, in me, when I, like as I like see a lot of like athletes sometimes from Palestine going to the Olympics or big competition, we always think of like the, our mindset. We go in like we just want to participate, and I think this is good, but it's not the best. We should go with the mindset that we want to win. You know, we should set for it, like shoot as far as possible, not even win. Like let's go for world records. So when we go with the mindset of like, oh, we're just participating, which is good enough. That's not the, you know, you're already making, putting the standard, you know, putting the bar way too low. That's at least my, uh, my critique about uh, other athletes going to the Olympics. Yeah. How about other Olympians, like other athletes that are Arab? So they're not Palestinian, but they're Arab. Have you, have you come across them? The Arabs, the other athletes, I've never met any, but I do like follow their stories. There are a couple of them from Qatar. Of course, it's somewhat safer and they get like very like funded by the government a lot, but also they're very gifted. Like there's a high jumper, Mataz, uh, and there's like, you know, hurdlers, very top, top, like in the world even, that are very inspiring um, that they're actually making it. But unfortunately, not as much as we should be. I think, I believe the Arab world have so much talent that could be, you know, we really could be out there every Olympics, you know, or the podium, like uh, as Arab countries, not just Palestine. So, yeah. but it's it's rarely, again, because people look at sports as like a hobby, not as a profession, not that it could be something as a profession. And studying sociology, I mean, I did, I did my uh, like uh, thesis in sociology of sports on how to use sports as a tool for positive social change. And I believe sports, just like science or art, could be used as a tool for social change. Palestine or the Arab world in general, it could inspire so many. There's a very famous picture of uh, the 1968 Olympics when Tommy Smith and John Carlos, you know, they raised their yeah. fists. For me, that was like one of the most inspiring moments, not that I've been living there back then, but like, you know, to, just to see that image was just so... Um, so inspiring because they use their effort to reach the Olympics, win, and, you know, use it as a spotlight to uh, remind the world of what the African-American community is going through back in the U.S. And they face so many, so much, like, death threats and backlash. And, like, Tommy Smith, the guy who got the gold medal, couldn't work in the U.S. for years. Mm-hmm. And he got gold medal for the U.S., but the gold medal was even taken from him. So, like, to mm-hmm. see how sports could really create change and it's a tool that we haven't used yet i believe in the arab world or even in palestine it's rarely used so moving forward so the tokyo olympics will now be next year god willing so let's say we come out of lockdown what will be your training are you going to go back to the u.s for training so i was supposed to go back uh, just before the lockdown i was so i haven't so just to clarify i haven't yet uh, i haven't yet officially qualified for the Tokyo Olympics, but like that was that was what like the goal was at least. And I was supposed to go to the US for one last training camp and one last stride uh, in this uh, eight year long dream. But then the lockdown happened, then the whole thing happened with the pandemic. So I couldn't go and now it's until next year. Unfortunately my visa also to the US got expired. So like a lot of small issues started to rise up with this. But the way I see it is that I just have to keep training. Like 
every time I, you know, when I meditate, I ask God, like, am I in the right direction? So always, the answer is always yes, just keep training. And so I'm like always day to day, day to day, day to day, giving it my best, regardless where I am in the world. Because, I, you know, it's difficult to explain, but it's uh, like it's been a journey, like an eight year long journey. And yeah, so, but I was supposed to go to the US, it didn't happen. Now I'm waiting for this lockdown to finish to see what will happen for the next year, you know, to see if I can go back to the US for one last training camp. If not, I keep training here to see the dream through. So like the goal for me, like at least for now is like, I want to see the dream through, whether it happens or not. I came in peace with it, that if it happens or not, it's okay. But I'm just going to push to the, you know, to the end. Like I, for me giving up or like, you know, saying, Khalas, it's done. I don't want, you know, it's not going to happen. It's, it's definitely not an option. So yeah, I don't know if that well, answered you, your question. You've got a lot of supporters, so we're all rooting for you. Uh, don't worry. Like you are an inspiration because I like the way you come with it. Like the energy you bring to it. So it's very calming, but you have your very clear focus but you're also at ease with whatever the outcome is. But for you, you know, it's to win and it's to make it to the Olympics and to win. But at the same time, you, you've got a very calming energy that if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think that's, that, that's incredible. So we wish you all the very best with that. It's always also like Jesus Christ is one of like my big items. And Jesus Christ was not the destination, he was the way. So that's how I see it. Like it's sometimes it's really, you know, I know it's cliche to hear it. Like it's, it's about the journey, not the destination, but it's, you know, looking at this eight year journey, I really see it. Like the amount of things it uh, helped me, like self growth, the inspiration I was able to give to others, motivate others, the bridges I was able to build. Like, you know, when I was in training in the US, I was, uh, I was training in Texas. I was the only, you know, the, my coach, every, all my uh, teammates, <laughs> they never met a Palestinian before. They never met a Muslim or an Arab. So that, for me, that was also building bridges. So there's so many different aspects on how this journey was. Like other than, like that might have been the medal, you know, in a way, like to be able to inspire others might have been the medal that I was looking for at the first place. And also, since I started this dream, because... It was never about winning. It was, uh, yes, I was aiming for like the gold medal and I was aiming to win and all that. But sometimes, you know, it's, it was beyond, beyond the medal. It was what the medal represents. The medal represents hope and joy to the Palestinians. So that was like, that was why I was seeking it. And after it's finished, the journey continues, which is, you know, to create hope and joy for Palestinians, but mainly hope, hope, hope. I think that's like the biggest thing that I work on. Like until the last day of my life, that's what's going to be continuously working on, which is to be able to create change, whether it's through sports, because, you know, sports is one aspect of my life, but like I use it as a platform for change. Incredible. Thank you so much. That's great. So give us your social media where people can go to your page and show their support to you. Yeah, I do have, I have a website. It's teammo.net. That's the website. And um, I do have an Instagram, also very active Instagram. More runs, more peace. And I'll put that all up as well. That's, Perfect. That's great. Thank definitely you. definitely yeah. follow him, show him some support because this is an incredible journey. And 
I follow you on Instagram and I think it's incredible. Like you are very active on Instagram as well. <laughs> um, so it's great to see your journey develop. So well done. Well, that wraps up the first segment. I then like this part, which is the David Lipton Inside the Actors Studio 10 Rapid Fire Questions. It gives you a great insight into someone's personality. So, um, Mohammed, let's start off with a question. Oof, question my heart one. is racing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, it's a bit of fun. No judging. So, what's your favorite word? Love. What's your least favorite word? Curse. So, there's an Arabic word that literally means curse, but like when people like curse something like oh, the, the weather or like that person or so there's an Arabic word for it but I would say yeah that's uh, okay what turns you on that's a difficult one can I skip you can do <laughs> <laughs> because the next one is the opposite what turns you off uh, um, in general when I just uh, I guess when I see people not wanting to change or like do something to change their life and just being stuck in where they are. What sound or noise do you love? Definitely the sound of water, like a stream. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, the honking of cars. What's your favorite swear or curse word? <laughs> uh, bang it, I've used it a lot. It's not too explicit, so it's good. <laughs> what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Acting. What profession would you not like to do? Any office job. The last question is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the gates of heaven? Well done. <laughs> so you get, see, it wasn't that bad, see? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so actually, with, uh, what turns me on, I kind of thought, I was like, thinking about it as I was answering quest questions. Definitely a deep, intelligent conversation. Well, hopefully the 10 rapid fire questions made it quite intelligent as well. Mo, thank you so much for giving us your time and we wish you all the very best in the future. We'll be supporting you and we'll stay updated on your Instagram. But thank you so much. And there you go, everyone. So no dream is too big. Mohammed didn't allow his circumstances to deter him from pursuing his dream. I can't believe it. So starting off with a spark of inspiration, leading him to buy a stopwatch and then train via YouTube. He believed in himself so much that he eventually got the support and funding by crowdfunding to train in the US and Germany. So that's an incredible feat. You can overcome any obstacle in reaching your dreams as long as you believe in yourself and put in the effort. Everything else will fall into place in the right time. So for now, thank you very much for joining us at the Shout Out Pod channel. And don't forget to like, subscribe and follow us on Instagram at the Shout Out Pod channel. Until next time. Thank you. Bye.